You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Welcome to Comeback City. Past, present, and future. My name is Matt Shankin, and with me today are our two guests, Scott Utke and Brendan Brogan of Detroit, Michigan. Linda Shepard is off this week, and she will return next week. Our topic today is going to be living in Detroit. We've done about 15 of these shows so far, and we have yet to interview anyone who's actually living in the city. And these two gentlemen have uh, recently, or in the past couple of years, moved back into the city of Detroit. And I was just curious to know why they moved to Detroit and what keeps them here and what, uh, what their interests are. So, Scott, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Great. Now, Scott, you've uh, and Brendan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, also. Thank you, Matt. Great. Uh, Scott, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. Excellent. And Brendan, where are you from originally? Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan. Uh, right. How far back does your family go in uh, Detroit, Brent? Uh, Nineteen uh, for my mother's side of the family, 1964. For my father, probably the 1870s, 1860s. So a long family history. Right. Excellent. Um, you know, my cousin Linda and I do the show together. Uh, we're interested in Detroit because we have six generations of our family that have come mm-hmm. from Detroit. Um, while neither Linda and I live in the city, we have a great passion for this city. So I'm hosting this show alone. And let me tell you, it is really hard without my cousin Linda, man. Anyway. So, uh, Scott, you've lived in a number of different places. Uh, your background is you love antiques. Uh, Scott and I have, uh, we met through the love of what I call junk. And when I say junk, that is the highest order of like found items, furniture, mid-century stuff, old stuff. And that's how Scott and I met originally. Scott, you've, uh, you've had this passion for a long time. And Detroit is a great place to look for junk. <laughs> what makes it special? Tell, tell me a couple of the places that you lived. I, I lived in Cleveland, and I've lived in uh, other cities in the Midwest, uh, North Dakota, and in uh, Sioux City, Iowa. I was out there for several years. Now, you owned a shop actually out in Sioux City, Iowa, right? I did for eight years. Wow. And you're a young guy, so – Early start. <laughs> um, so what is it about Detroit? And you live in which neighborhood in Detroit? I live in southwest Detroit. Uh, it's Carbon Works is what they call it on the maps. But uh, we, the, the re- local residents just kind of call it uh, southwest Detroit near Delray. Near the Delray neighborhood. Uh, I've mentioned you on other podcasts that you haven't listened to because that neighborhood is one that's in great transition right now. The new bridge is going in in the Delray neighborhood. So just in the past year and a half that we've known each other, um, I've seen a neighborhood that was – pretty much abandoned to now a neighborhood where all those abandoned homes have been raised, all the trees have been taken out, and they're putting the bridge up right now. So, But in your neighborhood, which is a little farther, 
I guess it would be west of Delray, a little southwest. Um, it's a pretty vibrant community. There's there's a lot of um, well, where did you guys go for lunch today? What's that little place called? Oh, the Ham Palace on the, on the corner of Woodmere. Uh, yeah, our neighborhood never really got as run down as other neighborhoods. A lot of the uh, uh, buildings are owner occupied, or or at least uh, occupied by somebody, and uh, uh, we don't have a lot of uh, transients walking back and forth, which is kind of nice. It's a quiet area; people know who's on the street and when they're there. It's a it's a, it's a nice community. I'm very happy to live there. You know that's true. I've traversed uh, Detroit uh, quite a bit since we started this podcast, and your neighborhood is thriving in some ways. It's it's a mix of industrial, some industrial, some commercial, and a lot of residents. And we're all a little bit nervous with the new bridge coming in because we really don't know what to expect with all the new traffic and uh, everything else that comes with the new bridge and uh, hundreds of thousands of people passing through the area on a daily basis. Now, from from where you live, the Rouge, the Rouge plant. What's what's just if you go Lincoln Park would be the next town. River, River Rouge, the River Rouge. River Rouge. Okay, and there's a big drawbridge there that lets um, ship traffic come and go. Mm-hmm. So I've been stuck in that traffic. Yeah, and with the uh, uh, 75 closure, that's been a zoo too. Uh, yeah, very, very difficult during rush hour. Cool. And so, Brendan, where do you live in Detroit? I live downtown Detroit. Uh, real estate people call it the necklace district. Uh, I would just call it sort of the eastern flank of the skyscraper zone okay. of Detroit. Which building? Uh, in the old Trolley Plaza building. Okay. And it's called Detroit City Club Apartments. And uh, I had the unique pleasure. You invited me up before the podcast, and we got a great view of um, some of the great old buildings in Detroit. It's yeah. really a time capsule of uh, great architecture from it's, that period. It's all, you could almost say that it has a museum quality about it um, in the sense that these are some of the best examples of the architecture they represent in each decade that they span. Now, when you were growing up, you and I are about the same age. We're in our, mm-hmm. oh God, 50s. When you were growing up, and which town were you living in when you were growing up? Bloomfield Hills? I My parents lived in Birmingham for a long Birmingham. time. And I grew up in Birmingham for okay. about, for most of high school. Would you come into Detroit? During yeah, that? absolutely. Um, you know, almost every weekend there was nowhere else to go. There weren't bars or places to go dance. Uh, underage, if you were in the suburbs, they just wouldn't let you in with your fake ID. So, so you were <laughs> you were out dancing and in bars in Detroit, yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, the the culture in Detroit has always been a place where outsiders, people of any kind of subgroup, could come and and be and find join the party, join the party. Yeah, yeah. And I was at some of those uh, those clubs as yeah. well. So cool. That was, that was- Quite fun. So you've lived in a lot of different places too. You've lived overseas. You've lived. Tell us a couple of places that you lived. Um, I've lived in in Montreal, Canada, uh, Miami, Florida, New York, uh, Paris, and Vietnam, uh, Puerto Rico, and a few wow. other places. Yeah, you've lived a lot of places. And so, what is the draw for you for Detroit? Right now, the draw is. Where the city is very obviously at, it's at an exciting time and you can sort of feel it uh, through 
a critical mass of the people who are here, uh, it's gone from a place that never had much a sense of pride about itself. It had it, it had, had it for its institutions, like the Tigers. People have always been tremendously proud, right. but the actual functioning of the city itself never brought people that great sense of pride hmm. across the board. Sure. Now, across the board, you see people say, "We work harder than other cities. We get better results because of it, and it's a great place." Yeah, that's we a, have great restaurants. Right. We have great buildings, and we work our at our. Tiny's off to yeah, get. I actually like that perspective where, you know, you can be a Tigers fan and you'd come down to Detroit. Music too has always been a big part Absolutely. of, of, um, of Detroit culture and people would come down for concerts. You know, people who, uh, you know, uh, Bob Seeger always said and any, any touring band said, Detroit fans are the most enthusiastic fans, the most grateful fans. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about the functioning of the city, about the city retaining a population. It's been. It was a challenge. Yeah. And it has been for a long time. The, yeah. The, it was, it was a difficult place to live for many years and it is now it's worth the effort. If it is difficult, I would say that it's not. I would say that it's no longer as much of a challenge to live in the city. Right. And that's through a lot of hard work. So, you know, um, Brendan, you represent what I would that something that my cousin Linda, she loves that inner, that, that part of Detroit that's going through the true renaissance, campus marshes, uh, where the old jail Hudson's coming up. Uh, you know, Scott and I were driving down to your place this afternoon and the vibrant nature of, of downtown Detroit. It, you know, I've been coming down to Detroit my whole life. I it just, I've it's, never seen this. It's never been this beautiful. I had with people out sitting at cafes. And it's, um, you know, it, there's a lot of wealth all of a sudden that's appearing, but it is also, it's it's really something that is on par with any city that you would want to go visit. So, yeah, and talk about wealth. You know, the 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 rents in the downtown area are, are not difficult. Cheap. Yeah, it's it's pretty expensive, but, but it's, it's yeah. So you've got you've got world class architecture and amenities showing up. As, as attested by your view. Now, Scott lives in a neighborhood that while Linda likes those kind of core, that core neighborhood, where I'm more interested in is the neighborhood that Scott, I call it the bands around Detroit, just mm -hmm. outside where all that redevelopment is. Yep. You know, when I first went into Scott's neighborhood, um, the, the thing that struck me the most was you, you go down the street and there's a gentleman sitting on his porch. And he's just hanging out, and it happens to be your neighbor and your landlord. Uh, what was his name? Um, the, I made Scott nervous. Yeah, you know, I, I can't believe I forgot his name. Well, he, he's he's now passed, but um, you know that man had lived in that. His grandparents had lived there. His parents had lived there. That that neighborhood was and remains a solid footing. Even through all the distress that mm -hmm. Detroit's face because of the people in that neighborhood, in that community. But it's not the richy part. No. I mean, rents are very affordable. Correct, Scott? Very affordable. And there's a lot of character and there's a lot of charm. Had you looked at other neighborhoods when you were um – I, I did. I kind of lucked in on this apartment. I was a friend that uh, whose uh, family had the building and I was able to get in uh, on the ground level 
Uh, otherwise, uh, an apartment like that would be twice as much, three times as much in many other parts of the, of the city. So explain what the what this – and this is kind of a typical Detroit 1920s, 1930s um, duplex. It's a duplex. It's a uh, upper, lower, uh, two-bedroom, hardwood floors. And I pay about $400 a month. Wow. With a with with a two car garage, you know how can you afford not to live here? It's uh, which is filled with treasures. Which is filled with treasures. Uh, it, it's also very nice because you, uh, because of the low rent, I can afford to travel and do other things with my money instead of spending it all and uh, trying to just keep a roof over my head. And access to um, the freeways is pretty accessible. And as soon as the infrastructure gets uh, fixed up a little better, it'll be a little less inconvenient to get where you need to go. Uh, and uh, they can never do anything with the car insurance. That's my biggest gripe about uh, about, yeah, the, t- about the whole thing. The car insurance doubled, almost tripled since I moved to Michigan, and uh, and then it went up again even more when I moved from the suburbs into the city. Yeah, that's something that uh, with the with the governor's race going on right now, they're talking about that. Um, so. You know, I'm a little. I'm going to just chill out here. I'm going to sit back because we're just having a conversation. You know, it's kind of nerve wracking to do one of these podcasts. You know, you feel like you have to be like something. So, Ellen, our producer, is looking over there, and she's like, ah, "Just kidding." Um, so, Scott, you and I have gone on many journeys together. We go out looking for junk. And again, let me define junk. Junk is the highest level of cool stuff that you can find. Mid century antique stuff. Now, Scott collects things. Now, where do you sell at, Scott? Uh, mainly Royal Oak Farmer's Market on Sunday morning, uh, which is a, one of Detroit's hidden, biggest hidden gems. Not everybody knows about it. It's been going on for 30 years, and it's uh, one of the uh, greatest places I've ever been to to buy or sell antiques. That's a nice, consistent indoor location. So you, you owned your own business. You owned your own brick and mortar in Sioux City, right? Yes. And you had dealt with antiques and things like that in other cities. But this is a venue that you rent a space. Is that how it works? You rent a space and uh, you just uh, set up every every week. It's, uh, everything is new. And uh, it's, all, it's about 60% selling antiques and 40% social hour. <laughs> you go there. You can have coffee, a nice little cafe, have breakfast and uh, sit around and talk with your friends. And uh, hopefully they spend some more money. So the reason that Scott and I get along really well is that we don't compete for the type of junk. So I like furniture. I like the bigger pieces. But Scott collects the things that people can pretty much grab and put into their car, right? Yeah. So yeah. dishes and um, – We call it glassware. Glassware. <laughs> Please tell us what else. Glassware, pottery, uh, rugs, lamps, uh, just anything that's kind of old and unusual. What kind of uh, – what's the, the um, farmer's market drawing? What kind of population? Who's coming to that place? It's a very eclectic crowd. It, uh, but you'll get a lot of, uh, a lot of local people uh, from Royal Oak shop there. About half the people that go there go there every week. So a lot of very loyal customers. Really? You have a lot of repeat people? Uh, yeah, up? many. Lots, almost everybody there has been there a few times before. But and, and, the, and the other sellers, are they pretty consistent? Yeah, uh, I'm the new kid there, and I've been setting up there for almost five years. Uh, there's people that have been there for 30 years, and uh, they kind of still look at me like I'm like I'm a beginner. Um, and uh, you know, there's times where you and I have gone on a road trip together, and uh, we'll stop in at a Salvation Army or some kind of thrift store. 
it's uh, how could I say, Brendan? How what were we describing on the car ride up? It's not unpleasant to be with Scott, but there isn't. He is a machine. There's this algorithm that's going through his mind when I go to these places. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for things to, you know, fill a niche in my home or you know get a piece of furniture. This man is a buying machine. He can get through uh, a Salvation Army or a Goodwill in a blink of an eye. Yeah. And he and spot seven things from electronics, four from clothing, six from housewares. Yeah, every department has something to look at and something to, uh, He's to try and find in ten minutes. And you know what? And what what you have a pulse on the heartbeat is you know what's selling. You know what people are buying. I try to, but you're always learning. You know, you never know it all, and it's always a, an adventure every single day because you never know what you're going to find and what you're going to learn about that day. No, you also have um, part of your business is also doing estates and estate sales. So that gets you into the community of people that whether it's Madison Heights or here in Royal Oak, where um, Podcast Detroit uh, that we put the show together. What do you see? You know, you you go into a lot of people's homes. You see a lot of people that, you know, what what any impressions that that you have from? Sometimes I think that I'm a hoarder, and uh, and then I go into these people's houses, and you see these giant collections of, of things which uh, you know take a lifetime to twenty, thirty, forty years to collect, and it's just impressive. It's, it's uh it's probably one of the most exciting parts of it. Is just you never know what you're going to uncover in the next box of stuff. Oh, that's really fun. And uh, Brendan, what um, what what what's the voodoo that you do so well? What's the thing that that you're doing in Detroit these days? In Detroit, I'm doing a lot of what I was doing in Montreal, which is translating and editing for clients um, in mostly in Canada because I can do that here. Québécois, oui, oui, yeah. uh, je. In from French uh, into English or editing things that were originally written in one language and had been translated, they have to sound good in English. And also for uh, local uh, business and authors here in the sure. Detroit area. And that's something that – so that sounds like something that you could really do anywhere you wanted. Absolutely. You could be up in – Northern Michigan. I've or done something. it in Florida. I've done it right. in Quebec. I've done it in in France. I've done it here. And yeah, you just need your computer, a Word document, and access to email, and yeah. it should be good. So um, I bet your family likes that you're closer to home now. They do. They're shocked, um, <laughs> you know, that I'm actually doing it at 50. I came back, and uh, yeah, it's 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 been really lovely to be around family again and to rediscover a place that. I'll admit it was a challenge to consider coming back, and when my hand was kind of forced into it, I'm really glad it was. And mm-hmm. that was because of immigration's concerns. We'll oh, say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, another for another show. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's you know, I took a year long sabbatical from the university. I had earned a year off, and. Um, didn't know whether or not I wanted to return to the university and really didn't know what I wanted to do with the next 50 years of my life. So I set off on this journey and it was ended up being, you know, 47,633 miles across the country three times. And, you know, my, my real question was, why do people live where they live? Why do they stay? And why do they move? 
you know, America is unlike any other place on the world where we are the most transient people. Do you know per capita, we have more storage units per person in this country than any other country in the world. Um, it's, we store all the stuff that we bought from China and we somehow, we are a a nation of hoarders and, um, it's and it sounds like you've lived in many very interesting places Vietnam, Paris, Quebec is a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Family brings you back? Family brings me back um and family and friends keep me back. But also the fact that I've as I said discovered a place that I I was with a friend uh who I used to come out to come down to Detroit with in the 80s and we had both come down and it had been about 20 years that we hadn't been together walking around downtown Detroit and it dawned us, done us uh, one day this winter that we didn't really know this city at all. This was a new city. We had never been to this city. Even though I knew the streets and we all knew where we were going, sure. we had never really been to this place where so many different elements of a walk through town came together. The uh, what we were looking at around us, a, a place where there were lots of shops, lots of people, and they were all running around on a Saturday trying to get things done because it looked like they all had something else to do later that evening. I don't remember Detroit being much like that on a Saturday late afternoon. In the 80s, it was pretty quiet. It was not a place where there were a lot of people running around. Quiet is, um, yes, the 80s. You know, I started coming to Detroit because, um, let's see, I was, I I moved to Ann Arbor in 87 and I wanted to start going out to the dance clubs and the bars, identified Mm -hmm. as gay. And if you were gay and you wanted to go somewhere, um, Detroit was the place and yeah. Detroit's always been kind of open to outsiders. Sure. And so what, what's the, what's the bar on seven mile? Um, oh, but what, what you would find is in this, in this kind of, in this large city where a lot of places were just abandoned and desolate that, that people of, of my subculture mm-hmm. could come together, feel comfortable. And be safe for this. I I never had a problem being in Detroit. Detroit was never, you know, it was never a menacing place per se. It was just there wasn't much to do, say, during the daytime hours on a weekend. No, right. Right. And there, there, you know, on a 4 p.m. on a Saturday in February wasn't going to be a bustling time around the financial district. Whereas now you can go and there's a bunch of things. You see children running around with their families. And so something's changed. There are other things there that weren't there before. And, you know, I found that interesting and it seemed that people were really sort of happy and bubbly on a February afternoon, which I could not understand. And yeah, later on that night, all the bars and the restaurants would be hopping. They always have been. Right. You know, but afternoons, weekends in the downtown area. That's that's really interesting. You – being a much more cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan, you know, you do like you lived in Miami, you lived in New York, you lived sure. in Quebec, very cosmopolitan. That you chose to come to Detroit, that that's something that that was important to you. You know, my perspective has always been kind of like I like the desolate parts. I like the parts that have the 
where I can see an opportunity to re to revive, to grow something, to build something. So it's these outer bands mm -hmm. um, of Detroit that fascinate me to like no end. And Scott and I were talking a little bit on the way over here about investing in some property. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't invest in downtown Detroit, but I would invest in some of these neighborhoods sure. that – so your passion about downtown. I, it, I, I like what it's become. It seems to have followed a path that has given it something that I've never seen before in the city. And when we – would we have this here, it's, you know, it's quite exciting. Um, and parking wasn't too bad outside your building. It's not awful. Not, not as bad as it could be and not as bad as it will be later this evening. We have a running gripe on this show about parking in Detroit. It's both it's tough. Co costly and it's difficult. Um, Scott, what – you know, when you think about different neighborhoods that you could live in, downtown doesn't really appeal to you because of your business. You need to bring stuff in and out. I'm not crazy about uh, paying for parking <laughs> either or, or, or having to search around, but uh, – uh, there's a lot of uh, beautiful areas in, the, in this town. Uh, in Boston Edison, there's a, all kinds of deals you know, in, in that area as well. Um, would you consider a, a when you were we were talking about buying a piece of real estate? Would you consider one of those grand dams of a uh, old home? Honestly, there aren't many parts of the city that I would not consider moving to uh, if, the, if I had a good deal on a house. Uh, you know, what, what a neighborhood doesn't really intimidate me too much, but. Uh, no, you, 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 Scott. I'll tell you something about Scott. He gets along with everyone. He's he's mm. a cool cat. Um, the the kind of thing that that I'm that keeps drawing my eye is a building that's like on a corner. It maybe has a commercial on the first floor. You know, maybe a, a little grocery store, and then up on top has like a living situation where you could live on top, and then you could have some kind of little store on the bottom. That's kind of the hub of four corners of a little neighborhood. That's something that kind of um, interests me. I've had friends that bought homes in Boston Edison and some of these other uh, Indian village. Um, it was said to me, uh, you don't buy one of these homes. You just go in and take care of them for a while. They kind of own you. It's, it's a commitment to um, maintaining homes that you know, after a hundred years, they, these homes are huge and they have, uh, you know, and they have problems that just, it's, it's, uh, well, we'll, we'll talk about that at another time, but. Home ownership could oh. be tough in the historic districts of, uh, of Detroit. And that's one reason I leave it to the buildings that take care of themselves in downtown. Those are old skyscrapers. They're beautiful, but. Wow, taking care of a skyscraper is not for me. I'd it's, rather rent. You know? it's, it's one of the things that age affords me and you as yeah. well. Wisdom to know. Exactly. that I, I'm more of a renter than a buyer. <laughs> At least when it comes to my neighborhood, I couldn't, wouldn't want to pay for it and certainly wouldn't want to have to keep up an old skyscraper. But we can appreciate those those beautiful homes. I, um, the the I small corner – Corner shop, yeah, that's that's a great life. And uh, keep all your junk under one roof. That's always been a kind of a nice idea. Could um, could you imagine? Uh, have you actually? I, now I'm kind of curious. It's uh, would you actually consider one of those larger homes in uh, Indian Village or in not one of the real big ones, but uh, something a little more modest? Yeah, definitely. I enjoy traveling too much to uh, have to 
uh, spend all my money on keeping a giant house, especially if you're a single man. There's no need. I don't need. I don't need five bedrooms. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a lot of that's a lot of floors to sweep. So here's the thing. So here's the thing that keeps me from coming back to Detroit. I come from a family of accountants Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not big risk takers. And I see these neighborhoods that totally, and I've I've rehabbed homes. I've, you know, restored cars. It's not my lack of ability. Mm -hmm. It's my lack of risk taking. To buy a home in Detroit is, you know, Scott has, uh, Scott's been thinking about it. it. It's, there's a lot of risk. That you have to think about. And if not risk, you're looking at, is this investment going to retain its value? If that's the type of thing you're thinking about, then yeah, that's a question. I, I got to tell you, I don't think there's a bad investment in Detroit. At this really. point, you might be right. But that's, that's new thinking, right? And, you know, your building, which was built in the 20s, you know, I've spent time there. Other than maybe a leaky basement, uh, hot water heater, that building, that's – Oh, it's solid. Considering, considering, <coughs> excuse me. Considering it's built over a salt mine that uh, has explosions and the house shakes and rattles every day for Wait, I don't know how many years, this, the, the house is shaking. Uh, so that's right. The, the your house is over the great salt mines of Detroit. Yeah. People don't know this, but daily quakes. Yeah, uh, first time I thought I was having an earthquake. I was laying in bed and I could hear my uh, you heard uh, like my china rattle in the, in the cabinet, and I didn't know what what was going on. And, and the landlady then informed me, oh, yeah, they must be doing an explosion at noon. So You had no idea. I had no idea. They used to do tours of those salt mines, but they haven't done those in, in a while. Is Do you know where they go in? Is it near your I, – I believe so, but I'm not 100 percent for sure. Uh, I've, I'm still rather new to the whole area. and uh, Five but, years. Yeah, five years. I spent two of those years, though, in the suburbs. So it almost oh, it almost doesn't count. And in those uh, first three years, I lived in the area. I had gone downtown Detroit maybe seven times, and it was intimidating, or I had nothing to do downtown until I finally discovered uh, that there was something for me to do downtown. <laughs> do you go downtown very much? I'm getting. I do. I, I like to go. There's some shopping. I like to ride my bike through there. It's a nice flat city to ride a bicycle through. I took you out for your birthday dinner. Oh, it was a wonderful dinner too. Uh, down at uh, Joe Muir's, that was that was kind of uh, world class. Yeah, that was kind of fancy pants. Restaurants coming back. Yeah, the know. restaurants are coming back. Uh, the one thing I di- I didn't mention was you know the Rensen, that monolith to nineteen one of the many Renaissance. You know they have done massive improvements. That that original design of that building was actually a fortress. You know it was two story high concrete barriers around the exterior of that um, of that building. And Scott, you had mentioned when we were walking through it, I, I think you said, <laughs> what was your experience? Oh, was, I thought it was just kind of a, 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 a mess. Sometimes it was hard to find any, your way through the place. And it was just kind of, it wasn't, a, it wasn't that design like a, a building would be designed today. I don't think that would make it really easy to get around in and, uh, I think it was kind of emblematic of what Detroit was going through during that time, which was this kind of siege mentality. Um, Ford had bought it. Uh, Ford, uh, Etzel Ford had um, been the main backer of it. Maybe you can – did you know much about it, Brendan? 
I just remember that it was got for. Um, let's see, it was nineteen seventy-two that it was. That it was um, planned uh, in the 77 it opened in 76 right. or 77 and the design walking around there was almost maze-like and it, it, it seemed like uh, the most uninviting cold impossible to navigate right um place that had virtually all the businesses you might want to find in a downtown area they were there it's just you could not get from Tower 1 to Tower 4 without an incredible amount of knowledge the, the city is, has struggled with this kind of, uh, you know, trying, trying to be an open international city, and then trying to, just trying to define itself, mm-hmm. and you know the people mover. Do you realize the people mover, which is the central hub? Do you know that there were supposed to be spokes mm-hmm. that went out to all the suburbs? And the reason why the people mover never got finished was because. Oakland County and wanted didn't, no one wanted spokes coming out because no one wanted anybody coming out mm-hmm. and they definitely didn't want to come in. That was the reason I decided not to stay in the area. There was no public transit to speak of and I didn't want to be beholden to a car. Well, right. That is a sacrifice you make living here is you kind of have to be. But Downtown, now you yeah. don't need a car anymore. Yeah, there's the Q line. There's the Q line. There's the there's a much better bus service than existed in the 80s and 90s. Right. There's a much better. Um, they've got the Q line, and the um, the people mover is still there. It does its little tour of downtown, and it can actually get you say from my building at least to the Renzen and to right. the key office buildings in the area, which there are a lot of. So you're like one of the first people that I know that actually lives downtown. Will you take me around downtown and show me the, the highlights? Great. Absolutely. We'll take, it will do it all by public transit. It's a lot easier. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. We'll do it on a trolley and a, a little monorail. Uh, Linda and I had come down once uh, for one of the shows, and we had gone on the People Mover, and that queue line, any time, it kept on getting hit. Or kept on hitting other cars, so it was, um, so it was down every time. But it seems to be. Uh, it seems I see it enough when I'm driving around <laughs> and trying not to hit it. But yeah. <laughs> right, but it's yeah, it's there. You cool. hear it, and it, it you know runs up and down water at least to you know the the art center, and sure. that's that was so much more than was there before. And I think from the point of view of people wanting to visit the city and to. It's overcome that what you were talking about is people feeling welcome or feeling like this is a city that has something that for the newcomer, the person who didn't rent a car and who's just here for like four days, well, they can use this little thing because there it is going up and down the avenue. They can figure it out. Unlike the Rensen back in 77, which was sort of this imposing, it looked great. But once you got in, you were lost. And and getting in was almost impossible. As well. So – Brendan, when we were driving up today, we were talking a little bit. You lived in New York City, mm-hmm. and um, I'd spent some time in New York City 2016 to 2017. Um, you know, when I talk to people who either have lived in the city for 40 years or who mm-hmm. lived in the city and now don't, what you find in New York City now is it's its, its own almost impenetrable um, – kind of fortress in the sense of socioeconomically. It's almost impossible to live there. Mm-hmm. There's no kind of like bohemian culture there anymore because no one can afford to to actually live there. That's kind of quirky and cool. It's all investment bankers and real estate people and things like that. Um, 
when I've kind of done my man on the street interviews, when I've walked around Detroit and I've asked people like, so why do you live here? And what's amazing is I've talked to people who, you know, they could have lived on the West Coast or they could have lived on the East Coast because they're doctors and lawyers. And the one defining thing is that I can live how I want to live in a place that's affordable and a place that I can define as my own space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can you speak a little bit to, you know, how that's more difficult to do in New York? You were talking about your experience in New York City well, recently. Well, I was in New York. I had I had been through undergraduate in the 80s and graduated from NYU. Oh. Um, in 1990, and was able to get a an airline reservations job in the city and afford an apartment in uh, on the Lower East Side. It was very modest. It was maybe I think it was 750 a month, and I could afford that on my salary if I ate very modestly and, and walked everywhere. Which neighborhood was that? In the Lower East Side. Lower East Side. Yeah, uh, and that was one of the few neighborhoods left, even in the late 80s, that had something affordable. But it was there. I could walk to work if I absolutely had to. Interesting. It was on the same island. Right. Now, you graduate from NYU, and unless you are, you know, making hundreds of thousands a year, you're not going to get an apartment on that island. You'd have to leave Manhattan, I think. Right. You know, everything's well over two or 3000 a month for one person. Oh, you know? it's astronomical. So, and I think that's not the case, you know, here, at least. No, and I think you speak to that kind of perspective of that's you know. the exciting thing is it it feels to me like detroit's at the point where yeah it's expensive in the core of the city but there's opportunity like all around to have somewhere where you could have a punk rock band and not get booted out by a you know, landlord right. or the neighbors or the neighborhood committee or the building committee or the condo association now, now when we say expensive in relationship to maybe other cities in and around Detroit and, and Michigan, but when we're looking at Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, the rents aren't very expensive. No, they're, I mean, they're okay. Yeah. It, the, the, and everything, of course, is relative to incomes, and that's still a challenge um, pretty much everywhere. But, yeah, it, it seems that you get a lot of bang for your buck in Detroit in the more expensive places, and that there are places that are available to those who want to cut like scott does not want to spend an awful lot of money on rent because he wants to travel why why spend it all and give it to a landlord so so let's so let's talk about let's talk about the issues of safety or your experience with ever have a problem in detroit ever have a problem with feeling unsafe in your neighborhoods never i've never had any uh i'm lucky maybe i'm the i maybe i'm just lucky but i haven't had any problems i've never felt unsafe i've never ever had uh, been a victim of any kind of crime, or violent crime, or right. car theft. No, I, you know, knock on wood, knock on wood no, no, knock on no wood. violent crime. I know. I beyond, uh, you know, violent crime. I don't know of any in the in the city personally. Right. It doesn't seem that it's a city where that should be a huge concern to the new resident at all. I, and that's that's different from I, you know I have like I said since January since we've been doing this podcast I have traversed hundreds of miles uh, in this town 
and there was one snowy oh that snowy day that I stopped over at your house we had a foot and a half of snow and I'm just bombing through some of these neighborhoods in my four wheel drive and I'm like helping people out and they're kind of looking at me like oh you know just whatever it was just a community of people that are just living life you know and I just I want to really make that point to the listeners that you know Detroit still gets you know kind of um, white this, this kind of this, this brush of kind of you know it's unsafe you can't go anywhere and it's a normal city yeah. it's not it's not unduly unsafe in a you know if I've always felt that in most places you go to an area you know what you're going to expect and if you're not looking for trouble you probably won't find it it's not something that jumps out in your face in detroit yeah it just doesn't happen here yeah it's not a vicious town um sadly the uh report just came out the census for 2016 i believe i don't think it was 2017 you know detroit lost another couple thousand people and it's so heartbreaking to hear that statistic when you see the the vibrancy, when I talk to the people that are invested and that are investing in this town, when you see the excitement, you know, how can this town lose a couple thousand more people? And here's the problem. The problem is, is that if you don't have a town where families feel like they can get a good education for their kids, right? Mm-hmm. You'll not, you need a population that's growing. And it yeah. just happens to be that the growing populations are the, are the family, are the ones that are having kids. I think that Detroit had been plagued with for many years, if they couldn't get their police and their fire departments kind of in line and make that sa- make, make these core areas safe, that they would always have this challenge. I think you speak to, and both Scott does too, to these neighborhoods that are thriving, Corktown, um, downtown Detroit, uh, southwest Detroit. These are thriving communities where people can feel safe, where you can, you know, your kid can go to school. So I think we'll, we'll have a definitive and happy answer to that in five years. It'll be obvious to everyone. That you give it? I, I, I say about five years. The schools will see an influx of mm. kids that, that just wasn't there before. I think people will start feeling safe having kids downtown Detroit. Yeah. And um, there will be a lot of them running around. Because, frankly, yeah, it's a quiet. These are the, the ones that, uh, the, at least where I am, it's a quiet neighborhood still. A Saturday is quiet mornings. and that's, it, Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, even a Monday morning can be quiet. When you look at the size of the buildings around. Right. You expect to look down and see the streets full of people and honking and honking. It's busy, but it's not swamped with people. I think it will be one day. And I yeah. think that's fine. You know, that's what a city should be. It's, so I think we're, we will one day see, and not too far away. It seems the progression of things yeah, is there. there. There's a book that I read. Um, it was published about three, four years ago, and I've got to find the topic. I've got to find the the the. Um, the author and but anyway her she's a a young historian who took a look at detroit in kind of a different perspective and it's a sure you can read the book in a night and she took the 400 year history of detroit and she pretty much summed it up like this starting 400 years ago detroit would build itself up generally around one economy whether it was fur trading Mm -hmm. whether it was the commerce of shipping and then somehow it would burn because it was wood structures but through all the the rising and the falling and the rising and the falling detroit 
always comes back. And it just happens that in this time period, the slow decline and the slow rise, it's just the, the time frame's a little bit different. It's but, a lifespan. But, but, we, but, but we are seeing that kind of horizon. I really, truly, I've been, how many, how many renaissances? Brent, you and I have lived in this area. I come from six generations of Detroiters. Mm-hmm. How many of these have we heard since the 70s? Oh, God. You know, I mean, they came back in 83. It came back in you know, 96, 91. 83, yeah. 91. And, no. <laughs> and they broke my heart Absolutely. every time. Absolutely. It was, to me, it was a personal betrayal. And I was mad. I couldn't. I, this was not, I, uh, we weren't connected to this part you, that we are now. Did you have that same feeling? Yeah, I took it very personally. It was very sad that, you know, this great city that was right there. Yeah. was still inaccessible somehow because these things didn't work out because they wouldn't send the spokes to, to Oakland County and we'd send them back. And and it, and it was really, well, I'm not going to, you know, in 1991, the New York Times wrote an article and they said the three most racially divided places on earth was Johannesburg, South Africa, mm-hmm. the Palestinians and the Jewish, yeah. and Eight Mile Road yeah. in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I don't cast blame on white or black. I, I do not do that. But what I saw was very strong personalities, very different political philosophies who would not budge, who would not broker, who would not get together and have some type of conversation about what's best for the city, not what was best for, for either their, their own constituents. Yes. Yeah. And it, it was – to our, it, it, the people it hurt yeah. was anyone who was interested in right. bridging gaps and bringing it together. There's there's a lot of there's a lot to be read and there's a lot of conversation about the racial divide and and let me just speak to this on a personal experience. I think a lot of that. I, you know this this town. I come from a Polish German background. You come from an Irish background. You know there were always minorities. There mm-hmm. were the Italians, and the Italians beat up on the Polish, and the Polish beat up on the Germans, and the Ger- everyone. You know this town has always been a town of of minorities. It has mm-hmm. always been a town of people who have come here for a better tomorrow. And what I see now, because of the Illiches, because of all this, you know, set, the politicians stepped aside, and we have these new founding fathers who mm-hmm. really doubled down and invested in this city. And this is where I see the, 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 the rise, the rise of the city come back again, was because of a personal um, investment based on men who had the vision, like Illich. Mm-hmm. And oh, who's the guy that owns Quicken Loans? Dan Gilbert. Dan, and Dan Gilbert. You know, every city, every great city in this country has always had oh. these philanthropists that help it. The, the I think, what, Phil, uh, the Vanderbilts? The Vanderbilts, the, Mellon, the Carnegie's, or the Mellons. Yeah, uh, Carnegie Mellon, right. Right, and for, uh, for Pittsburgh, um, I forget, but every city has these um, benefactors. Right. Detroit has not had one for a long time, 
and we need a few actually because of this because of where we've gotten to and wow look at the difference right. it has made even if it is only in key buildings it's bringing something it's getting word out it's creating you know a vibrancy that wasn't there or at least hope that wasn't there when i was in high school you didn't have um this type of thing going on and now you've got all these great venues to go to and they are attached to the name often so we're we're just about out of time um i wanted to um thank scott and brendan for your time today this was uh kind of an unplanned uh kind of spur of the moment so i really appreciate you guys taking the time today uh any last words about Detroit, anything that uh, anything that kind of sparks your interest, anything that uh, do you? How about this? How about we end with this? Do you see a positive, um, positive uh, Detroit going forward? I, I see this as being the most exciting city yeah. in the U.S. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. So in ten years, we will know why um, right. it was right. worth it. The most, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't have the answer right now, but I think I'm right. It's nice to be part of something like that. Uh, it's a great city to live in, and anybody that's thinking about living here, uh, just don't hesitate. Just move. Now the future is wow. Future is going to be better. All right, guys. Okay, thank you both. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.